Welcome to a Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, another Super Tuesday, where this time we are going to take the emphasis off of the campaign. We're not going to talk about debates. We're not going to talk about who's running for office and who's doing what to screw up the White House. Instead, we want to talk about something that is, I think, of much greater importance, and that is how do we impart truths that are transforming into the lives of our children and our grandchildren. And so today, I've got a couple of different children's authors who are going to join us during the whole 90 minutes. We're going to take a look at education. We're going to take a look at teaching biblical truth to kids and and maybe more importantly, to help um, our kids learn some things about how much God loves them and how much we love them. Um, first up is a conversation I had recently with author Michelle Medlock Adams about a book that she wrote called I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. Uh, this is a really powerful book about, um, it's an educational picture book, if you will, that helps parents show their kids not only how much they love them, but also teaches them some interesting facts about what's happening around the world. So I encourage you, we've got two resources to give away today. If you want to get in on the action, give us a call right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now let's re revisit my conversation with author Michelle Madlock-Adams on the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line today. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to take a look at a special story that I think is is fun simply because it's very interactive and it's something that gives us in the grandparenting world, especially a chance to kind of reach out to the grandkids in our life. Uh, Michelle Medlock Adams is with me, co-author of a brand new book called I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. We have a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Michelle Medlock Adams, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much for having me. Michelle Medlock Adams is a very prolific author. That's putting it mildly. She's an award-winning journalist. She's earned more than 75 industry awards, is the best-selling author of more than 100 books. Uh, she and her husband, uh, Jeff, have two married daughters and five darling grandchildren. Uh, do you read this book to the dogs that you have as well, too, Michelle Medlock Adams? I, I must know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you absolutely can read them to the grandpups or Grand to pups, the dogs. Yeah. Yes, why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, the only reason I, I mean, it's, it, it, it boggles my mind. I've not been good with animals, maybe cats occasionally. I have a son who has a husky, and I, I've kind of gotten into that world of, you know, people who have pets and have TikTok accounts, and it just boggles my mind how much a part of the family they are. But then again, you know, there was Nathan and David and the ewe lamb and all that stuff, so I realized, okay, well, maybe I'm just missing a part of the Old Testament that I really should be putting into practice. Let's talk about this book because it's, it, it seems like it's starting in a really fun, healthy place, but there's a lot more to it than just, I love you. Well, I love you more. Talk about this book, why, why it was so important for you to write it right now. Yes. You know, this was a fun one. It was one of the ones I co-wrote this with my buddy, Cecil Stokes, and he and I had been friends for just a very long time. We met at a writer's conference probably a decade ago now, and so we really wanted to work together, and he is a film director and does commercials and things, and I'm in the literary part of the, of the publishing world. And we just connected on this because he'd adopted a little boy um, named Boone, and so he had this whole parenting perspective now. And we were just talking about some of the ways that we put our children to bed. And so I have I had girls, and, and now I have I actually have six grandkids, and I need to update my bio. Mm -hmm. We have a, mm -hmm. a brand-new squishy one. She's just two months old. Oh, <laughs> so, fun, fun, um, fun. So sweet, yeah. So we were talking about, you know, some of the of the rep, rep, uh, repetitive things that we do at night. And one of the things we always do with our girls is 
we would, uh, you know, we'd pray with them, and then they'd run and get 42 drinks of water and all those things, right. you know, that they do when they don't want to go to sleep. They right, always right. do that. Uh, so we would start this I love you more than game, and it, it did sort of calm them down because they were always hyper when we tried to put them to bed. Mm-hmm. And say, I, so I'd say, I love you more than, you know, a thousand green M&Ms. And then they would come back and say whatever they were into at the time. I love you more than 20 dinosaurs. Or, and so we just be, it just became this fun way. And it was a tradition. Every night before we went to bed, this is what we did. And so I was telling him about it one day um, because he was telling me some of the rituals that they do when they go to bed at night. And, and we just sort of combined our love for bedtime rituals and came up with this book. But we took it a step further. He said not only do we have some fun comparisons and and really um, help parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and any kind of caregiver, you know, ways to tell the your little, the, all the littles in your world how much you love them. But we had some great educational aspects in this book. So we, we really, we thought, let's just give it all, let's put it all in there. <laughs> so there's lots of back matter in this book, meaning there's extra pages full of extra information. So teachers are loving this book because we, we really do have some educational things in here. So we thought, let's put some facts and figures in there, and let's do some comparisons of some real things in life that kids not only will learn how much they're loved, but learn some things about this great world that God created as well. I I love this book, and for so many different reasons, Michelle Medlock-Adams is with me today here on The Bottom Line, and the book is called I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. Uh, just, I mean, obviously on the surface, there's the fun aspect of, you know, what it's like to have kids or grandkids and, and do this kind of mm-hmm. nighttime ritual, and I, I think about my my five-year-old uh, grandson, Isaac, and when we do have the opportunity to be together, uh, it is kind of fun to read the stories that he likes to do, and that's part of the, the ritual that we do. But I'm glad you included the other data as well, Michelle, because I think something that has kind of been a challenge for those of us the grandparenting season or even for your daughters now as they're you know, raising their own kids is the fact that it used to be, I don't want to say easy, but you could pull out Goodnight Moon and put them to bed in a couple of whiffs, and, and, the, and the world wasn't going to be that strange. But now they're going to bed in a lot more uncertainty. They're they're growing up in a lot less regularity than we did, and and uh, the, the culture really does not have the same values that we do. Talk about why a book like this, though it's it's kind of whimsical and and kind of cute and innocent, there, there's a serious overtone to it in a certain regard. That is that is such a good point. I think um, I mean I've been in this business over 20 years, and I've seen we've all seen the world change, and even in the publishing industry. And I've written for kids for many, many years, and that's really my passion. And, and even how how I approach what I'm doing now is is different because I realize that the book that the parents are reading to the child at night might be the only God influence they're going to get that day. It, it just depends on the household, and we know they're not getting it in the public schools at all. And so I just I I'm really conscious of that when I sit down to write. You know, Lord. Help me to write this. Help me to have your heart in every page. You know, everything is bathed in prayer. And I'm not saying my earlier books weren't, but they, it's just there's such significance now because I realized that not every little child is growing up and knowing anything about God. I mean, not even a baseline information about Him. So we are, um, those of us in the industry who are, who are feeling like me, and there's quite a few of us, we feel like this author army. <laughs> we are, we are, we are letting these kids know how much God loves them. It's kind of our mission in life, and and I think also this this book is one that can really go um, anywhere. We we did that on purpose. It's, it's one of my first what they call a general market book because it can go into the the public schools because there there's no mention of God in this. Now there's going mm-hmm. to be a sequel to this that comes out next year through the same publisher, Skyhorse, uh, is a division of Simon and Schuster. 
that's called um, I Love You from Here to Heaven Above. And it will be the same premise where it's the caregivers, you know, or the parents or the grandparents saying, I love you more than, but the, all the comparisons will be um, biblical uh, mm. examples. So, you know, Stronger Than, Samson, or those kinds of things. So we're going to, we'll be teaching about all the different Bible stories in that one. So we're excited about that one too. But in this one, one of the things that, that I think is so important is, you know, if, if kids don't know how much you love them, they can't really trust you. We don't, we don't trust people that we're not really sure we stand with them. And so I think it's so, so important for parents to take that time at night just to say, this is how much I love you. And these are some pretty big comparisons. <laughs> so like right. one of the ones is, yeah, I love you higher than the space station, and that is really high. Mm. I love you brighter than the series star. It lights the darkest sky. And it's all done in rhyme. So kids are, I'm, I'm hearing from parents that the kids have memorized this book. So they're memorizing lots of great information. And then in the back, you can go and, and you don't have to do this every time, but you can go back and learn more. I think that's really fun. That's something, especially the homeschool market is loving, where they can go back and read about the space station. So there's a paragraph about that in the back, and there's something about the series star. There's uh, all the other things that we talk about. There's at least a paragraph, sometimes two, about each of those different topics. And so it's sort of like more bang for your buck. You get to right. tell this child how much you love them and, and educate them, too. <laughs> Wow, it's so encouraging. Michelle Medlock Adams, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, co-author of the brand new book that's uh, for kids of all ages, I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some practical applications, not only from this, but also uh, something that uh, Michelle just mentioned with regard to the content of this book and how we as parents and grandparents in particular can, uh, can take that next step to go a little bit deeper and not be too intimidated by the changes in the culture, but still the biblical realities that uh, that every child is going to have to come to terms with at some point with regards to you know life and death and and uh, why a you know a silly I love you more game can actually turn into be a, a rather deep and meaningful experience. More of my conversation with author Michelle Medlock Adams in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Michelle Medlock Adams is my guest today here on the Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, easily one of the most prolific authors we've ever had on the Bottom Line show, hundreds of books in print. And uh, the new book, uh, I Love You to the Sun and Beyond, is kind of a, I'll call it a kid's book plus. Is that a, can we invent a new category here, Michelle? It just seems like it's like it, I it's remember. It's not, it should be. I really like that, yes. Well, I, th I think about, I, I remember when uh, both of my, I have two daughters as well uh, who were married in the, over the past several years. And I remember the, the whole, there's a phrase that they use for hors d'oeuvres that actually have so much protein that you can actually serve them as a meal. It's kind of that type of thing, like a hors d'oeuvre plus or whatever. Yeah. These, But these books, though, oftentimes I remember having kids 30-something years ago being a new dad and say, okay, we need a kid's book. I'm at the supermarket. There's a kid's book about colors. So I'm just going to buy that, you know, and that'll be fun. Mm -hmm. And they get to learn the colors of the rainbow and it's that fun. Or it's got a counting thing or something like that. And we didn't really have a high expectation. Did we? I mean, you've been in the industry for a long time. We didn't really have a high expectation of kids' books. As long as it had really good pictures and, you know, yeah. verbiage that was kind of easy to read. And I will admit one of the things I love about my wife is my wife, Lisa, is one of the best at reading kids' books and putting in her own dialogue and her own text. Because after you've read the book 75 times to the kid, everyone knows what's coming, <laughs> and so you just want to throw them off. But I Love You to the Sun and Beyond is kind of a new genre, isn't it? We talked a little bit about this before the break, but I'd love for you to kind of expand upon how kids' books today aren't like what when we were growing up because they have to have a little more oomph, a little more substance to them as far as the text goes. Yes. 
You're, you're exactly right. And I mean, it's not that we don't still enjoy some of those just silly, silly books that make us just giggle and there's not really any point. Yeah. But um, it, it makes you feel better, I think, as a parent when you have some of these other yeah. little meteor books also in the, in the children's library. I, it, at least it does for me. I have some of the other ones that are really fun. I know my husband used to really not like to read some of Dr. Seuss's books, even though I loved his books because I loved the rhyme, but because they were so long. <laughs> you know, they, that, the the Star just went on till the mm-hmm. next evening. We're like, oh, no, don't use yeah. that. We used to hide that book. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, it was a true, true story. But we, uh, as I, I know myself as a children's author and some of, some of my colleagues, we've talked quite a bit in recent months about, you know, the importance of just taking that, that cuddle up time at night and really using that time with your children to reinforce important truths. And so there's a, right now the, kind of the trend in children's publishing is there's a lot more what they call felt need books, which means they are, they are actually helping this child deal with whatever it is they're going through. Now, I love you. Uh, the one that we're talking about today is I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. And the good thing about that book is you're, you're just reinforcing to your children how very much you love them. And you're giving these crazy, you know, wild comparisons that, you know, I love you grander than the Taj Mahal, and that is really grand. I love you rarer than a precious stone that's deep beneath the land. And then we talk about more facts about that. So that is just a great truth to get into your child, how much I love you. I just, just yesterday actually had a book released uh, called Fly High, which I co-wrote with a grief specialist. Her name is Jan Johnson. The book is called Fly High, and it's about um, how to deal with grief. So it's, right. it's a story about a cardinal family, and the mama cardinal dies, and, and so the, you know, that's the unthinkable. And these, this brother and sister watch these little baby birds without their mom. But if you know anything about cardinals, the daddy cardinal comes in and, and is also very involved in helping raise the children. And so they are able to provide water and suet and food for, for the daddy to be able to, to feed the little baby birds. And as they are helping... They are getting that renewed sense of hope and, and realize that when the little bit birds fly high and they finally leave the nest, that that's a new beginning. And, and so you see, we actually take the children through all these stages of grief um, without saying this is anger, this is bargaining, all those things. But through the story arc, they see that uh, they, there's still hope. And even though they're sad that somebody they love has died, that they'll see them again someday and that they can have a new beginning and that God is still with them. And so that is not a book that I would have got to write even 10 years right. ago. Right. You know, I was still doing fun little prayer books, but now it's needed. Since we came through COVID and there's been so much death and things around us, kids need that assurance. They need to know how to how to vocalize how they're feeling. And that little book, Fly High, is helping with that. So that's, I think it's changed for some of us in the, in the industry. We're writing to, to meet these needs and, and I'm loving it. I really, I love to be able to write things that I know are going to really touch kids' hearts. I like to make kids laugh. There are some funny... Yeah. Uh, pages even in this I love you to send and beyond but that isn't my goal <laughs> mm-hmm. well I I, the, I love the fact though that you are addressing that issue of humor uh, a very wise uh, mentor of mine in my uh, youth once told me that uh, she was a huge uh, you know storyteller joke player you know kind of the, that prank type of person <laughs> and she always just had a chuckle and finally I asked her one time I said Donna why is it that you know that this is you know so important to you and she got really serious and she said when you laugh, every muscle in your body relaxes. And I like to think mm-hmm. of the fact that God is tilling the soil of your heart so he can plant seeds of what you need to learn. That's why I like to laugh, yeah. because I see somebody with that uptight you know, look on their face. And think about kids, how much more kids are uh, either taking in the, the struggles of the world, the mm-hmm. stresses of the world, or maybe they're just kind of picking up on what mom and dad are dealing with or 
maybe grandma or grandpa oh didn't God. make it through COVID. And the, uh, I know my, my grandsons had to deal mm-hmm. with the loss of a grandmother when she was only 55. And, uh, you know, that's, I don't mm. think he still fully understood, you know, why he doesn't get to see grandma Jenny that much anymore. But, you know, that the, the, the fact that you're addressing that type of issue and that type of love and your new book, I love you to the sun and beyond, which we've got up at the bottom line show.com is helpful because it really does. I mean, it's fun to play the game. I love you. I love you more. And then I love you and all mm-hmm. these superlatives, but there's a core value that's being shown here. And it's really just all about caring and connection. Talk about why the, the method, yeah. I don't want to say the method of the madness, but the purpose of writing a book like this is so important now more than ever. I, I so agree with that. It is, I think, more important now. And, you know, it, it's interesting when you are at night. Most people read to their children at night. Now, sometimes we'll do it on the way to different places if someone else is driving and the kids are in the car. and there are other, But usually when we think of it, we think of bedtime stories. And that's the time when you have those moments. Maybe it's the only moments of the whole day when you've really had a chance to connect. I, I call those the cuddle-up books, right? You, they, get, they crawl up on your lap or maybe they're in bed and you get next to them in bed and you're quiet, and you're cuddling, and and you're reading that, it is the time that I long, I I miss, I miss that with my girls, now they're, they're doing this with their own children, that was the best part of my day, every single day, I love that part so much, and I think that probably all parents feel like that, when my grandkids come over now, that's the first thing we do, is they go to the, to we have a toy box, and there's a section with all the books, and they grab them, they sit on my lap, and, and we just laugh, and we cuddle, and they help make up stories. Sometimes we don't read the actual story. Sometimes they make up <laughs> right, right, right. pictures. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's okay. But it is that, it's that connectivity. But the other part is, is that even as adults, when we're reading to the kids, that's when all of our, um, our walls are down. Like we don't have those defenses up. It's just time with our kids. And so we can be so real with one another. And I think that is so, so important with our children that they, that they can just, we can all be tender with each other. You know, we're not, sometimes as parents, we're the disciplinarian and, and we're the chauffeur and the, you know, driving back and forth to things. But when you're sitting down just reading with your kids, that is, those are the most tender moments and the ones that you will so long for once they're no longer in the house. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love that we have those kinds of books. And I love you to the Sun and Beyond. It's the perfect book to connect that way. And then, you know, teach them a few things along the way. And there are some, like I said, some funny times in there to laugh. We have something about a diaper in it. It's pretty funny. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you will not want to miss the diaper story. That's for sure. Among the other uh, <laughs> great pearls of wisdom that you'll find in the brand new book by Michelle Medlock Adams <laughs> called I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Perfect resource for you as a grandparent to further solidify your place as favorite grandparent in the life of your grandkids, and especially if you've got kids as well. It's a good book for parents to read your kids. Uh, Michelle Medlock-Adams, thank you for the book. Thank you for the time. And uh, continue to keep uh, writing those books that are not necessarily felt need. I mean, that's what the industry might call them, but we can tell that those are you know, actual heart's cries that God is using you to uh, fill in those, uh, uh, those gaps with uh, the writing and the pictures and everything that you're putting together in these great books. Thank you for, so much for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you. And that concludes my conversation with author Michelle Medlock-Adams today here on The Bottom Line, talking about her outstanding children's book called I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. This is one of those, you know, it's kind of like, uh, um, you know, it, you think about the way parents and kids talk to each other, you know, I love you, I love you more, I love you, that, that type of thing. That's not always the case in parent-child relationships, but sometimes when it is kind of fun and playful like that, there is still that nagging doubt that a lot of kids have. And the great thing about this book is it does help you understand 
how to communicate that to your kids or grandkids, but also teach them some fun facts about the world around the way. We've got a couple of copies, not one, but two copies of this book to give away today here on The Bottom Line Show, and I'd love to place one into your hands, and there's a good chance you might get it in time for Christmas. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have not one but two copies of the book by Michelle Medlock Adams called I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. 800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to author Michelle Medlock Adams for joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about her outstanding children's book called I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. And trust me, as a grandfather myself, and I know a lot of grandparents listen to the program as well, if you're looking for a book to have on hand to read with your kids or grandkids, this is a great, it's heartwarming, it's educational, um, it really, it, beautiful pictures. It, it's it's one of those, you know, kind of educational edutainment or infotainment uh, books because it the kids are learning something, but they're also getting to know how much God loves you, how much you love God, how much your parents love your kids, that type of thing. Um, it, it's not easy to quantify, but this book really helps you help kids love you. There, there are 20 wonderful and wacky analogies um, in this book <laughs> and you're really going to enjoy it. If you want to learn something too, I highly recommend it. We have not one but two copies of this book we're giving away today and I want to put one in your hands. It's really very simple. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And please remember as we're thinking about kids and how much we as parents love our children, how much we as grandparents love the children that are in our world, our grandchildren, uh, think about the fact that if you get a chance to hug your kids or grandkids um, on a fairly regular basis, there are some parents right now who are making the decision. They're, they found out they're expecting a child, it's the Christmas season, and they're wondering what they should do. And the world is telling them, if you don't want to be pregnant right now, go have an abortion. Go to an abortion clinic, we'll take care of it like it never happened. We'll take care of the problem for you. I mean, the National Institute of Health and the CDC actually classifies pregnancy as an illness, which is why women are able to take those so-called medical abortion pills to end a pregnancy. But you know, one of the things in the same way that reading a picture book with a child, showing pictures of the child to the kid, pictures really do say a thousand words. I've got both of my biological daughters, Emily and Kaylee are expecting uh, this year. Emily's due in March and Kaylee's due in April. And it's interesting because my grandson, Isaac, was visiting with his auntie Kaylee, 
and uh, he pulled out a post-it note and he said do you have pictures of the baby and she said well no i don't can't, didn't have an ultrasound on me so he drew a couple of pictures and put them on her belly and said well this is what the pictures look like of my brother who's in my mom's tummy right now and i thought see he's six and even he understands the power of the ultrasound our friends at preborn understand it too and you have a golden opportunity right now to help them help that woman who has been diagnosed with a pregnancy, as they would say in the medical community, and has questions. I mean, doesn't know what she should do. Can she raise a child? Can she release a child for adoption? So many post-abortive women find out after the fact that they could have released a child for adoption and no one ever told them. Preborn gives them the information they need, but also gives them those ultrasound images. And those ultrasound images, 85% of the time a woman sees those pictures and says, that child is going to live either in my home or in, a, in an adoptive home. Your $28 donation saves a life. And when you give right now, there's a special matching gift in place, and that gift then becomes doubled. So a $28 donation would ordinarily save one life, now it saves two. A $280 donation, which would ordinarily save 10 lives, now saves 20. You get the idea. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229-BABY. Or go online to kbrightradio.com and click on the preborn banner. And when you find the banner, just go ahead and click through. And you can, if you've got your credit card information already set up on your computer, you can take care of that transaction in probably 28 seconds or less. Tax deductible, perfect year-end gift. Give the gift of life to a child who doesn't have a say in the matter. It's really between mom and their doctors and they're making decisions that could mean the difference between getting a chance to hug your grandchild here in this life or having to wait to meet them on the other side. Uh, I vote for door number one. <laughs> That's why Lisa and I support four of these each and every month and I encourage you to do the same. It's a $28 donation and it will save a life. 833-850-2229. Call Preborn with your best donation today. Coming up next, an update with attorney Paul Jonah about a fascinating case right here in Escondido involving a couple of women who are public school teachers, 20 years plus for each one of them, who are fighting for their professional and sometimes personal lives too because of the gender wars. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated, and Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Well, today here on The Bottom Line Show, a special conversation with a man who is working on a case that involves a couple of San Diego school teachers, San Diego area school teachers, who are doing something that I don't think any of us would do differently, quite frankly. It's a really remarkable situation from involving the Escondido Union School District and a couple of teachers by the name of Elizabeth Mirabelli and Lori Ann West. Paul Jonah is special counsel with the... Uh, uh, Paul Jonah is special counsel with Thomas More Society, working with uh, Lamandry and Jonah LLP here in the San Diego area. And he joins me here for an update. Paul, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. 
Thanks, Roger. Great to be with you. Okay, set the stage for us here because any of our listeners, in, especially on AM 1240, uh, are familiar with Escondido Union School District and Rincon Middle School. There's a contempt of court charge involving a couple of women who basically have the, I believe, have the right to do what they're doing, but the school district has a different opinion. Sure. So our clients are two veteran school teachers who have been teaching uh, elementary school children for 20 to 30 years. And uh, they work at the Escondido Union School District, and uh, they, they learned that the school had a policy, a new policy that was going to be enforced that would require them to not only accept the child's assertion and their, their students' assertions of their gender identity, but to withhold that information from parents if the child so chose. And the, these children could be as young as five. Hmm. When they learned about the policy, they asked for an accommodation, uh, and they they didn't want to, you know, they... It would violate their sincere religious beliefs to withhold material information about their students from parents. So they, they negotiated with the school district, and after quite a while, they, they didn't want to sue them right away. They wanted to work out an accommodation, right. and there were several options for accommodations. But after a while, it became clear the school and the state of California, for that matter, were going to we're going to enforce this policy. And if they didn't comply, they'd lose their jobs. Talking with Paul Jonah today here on The Bottom Line. He's a partner with Lamandrigan Jonah LLP in San Diego area and has been retained by Thomas More Society as special counsel in this case. And, you know, I would imagine, Paul, that, uh, you know, it, it, I remember reading Judge Benitez's uh, decision and thinking, OK, this is really good, but this could get really nasty and really ugly for both of these women really quickly. What's been happening in the month? It was early September that he handed that down, was it not? Right. So he, well, just to get the the timing, they filed this case. We filed this case on their behalf in April. Uh, the the okay. order on the preliminary injunction came out in September, and you know we we thought federal court basically the federal court basically ordered them uh, to you know to be able to continue their jobs without without violating their faith by complying with its policies. And the and the court made it very clear in the order that no adverse employment actions were to be taken against these teachers. So, mm -hmm. you know, a, a school district faced with a federal court order that you're not supposed to adversely treat these employees and they need to come back to work without complying with this unlawful policy, you'd think they would take that seriously. So we wrote them a letter saying, here are the terms, the reasonable, very reasonable terms that they require before they go back. This is the Elizabeth. And, um, you know, very simple things to make sure she's safe because there was protests. There was a handful of teachers that were rallying students against this lawsuit. Um, you know, a lot of them were supportive, quite frankly, but there was a handful that were causing some mm -hmm. disruption at school. So in the case of Elizabeth Mir Mirabelli, she wanted to make sure she was safe and she had some pretty basic requests. But to this day, they have not confirmed that they're willing to take any of these reasonable measures. And so she's not able to safely return to work. In the case of Lori West, mm -hmm. it's much more concerning. In the case of Lori West, she never really wanted to be put on uh, leave. She she was, there was less um, threats and harassment initially directed to her, but what, what was going on is that there was student complaints, and these complaints were frivolous, obviously, untruth, um, unfounded allegations about supposed things that Lori West said or did, and really, they should have been quickly dealt with at the at the administration level and um, dismissed. But what ended up happening, unfortunately, is the school district used these frivolous complaints as a reason to keep Lori out of school. And there were serial complaints. There was one made at the outset of the case, and then right conveniently, right after the court issues a preliminary injunction order, another student 
makes a complaint. This student happened to only have Lori West as a teacher five years ago, but suddenly remembers with some great detail a lot of racist remarks Lori West allegedly made. And conveniently, she remembered all these two weeks after the preliminary injunction ruling came out. And so the school hmm. really should invest, it should take seriously allegations of racism. Obviously, Lori West right. adamantly denies that she made any such remarks. But what they did was they used those allegations as a reason to keep her out of school. And to this day, she's not been allowed on campus because they're supposedly still investigating these complaints by apparently interviewing countless people and using it as a reason to just keep continue harassing her and keeping her out of out of her job that she loves. I'm talking with Paul Jonah today here on The Bottom Line. He is legal counsel with a uh, special counsel with Thomas More Society. Uh, Lamandry and Jonah is the uh, law firm that he practices law with. He is handling the case involving two teachers in Escondido Union School District, Elizabeth Mirabelli and Lorianne West. And these are two women who have longstanding records of being good and effective teachers who basically are standing up to the nonsense that the, the culture keeps throwing at people like them, people of faith, people, even people who are not of necessarily Christian faith, but are just saying, look, there's no way if you're telling me that an eight-year-old can't vote or an eight-year-old can't get married, that an eight-year-old knows what their gender is in terms of you know being uh, gender fluid. And the fact that this has turned so nasty and so ugly, Paul, it really, I, I know there are a lot of people who are saying, well, gosh, if these are women of faith, why did they, you know, why did they go to hire an attorney? This is really a graphic example of how these things can turn so quickly. And especially here in the People's Republic of California, I can imagine that this California Teachers Association is doing very little to protect these women. Is that, I mean, I, I don't say that sarcastically or, you know, I mean, it, it's, it sounds like the, the way you're describing that they're not getting any help from their union at all. No, not at all. They were left to fend for themselves. These are the only teachers, as far as I know, um, in California who are willing to challenge these policies. And I've spoken to many teachers, mm -hmm. and apparently these policies are not brand new. They've been around for some time, and most teachers are just going with the, the mandate that makes zero sense, uh, not only legally, but practically and morally to have some five, six, seven, eight year old dictate to her, to the, to the school, their gender and, and have that hidden from parents. Mm -hmm. There are so many practical reasons why that's dangerous, but also unlawful. So these teachers, by the way, they were, they were teachers of the year, phenomenal teachers. They love their students and because they love mm -hmm. them so much that they, they wanted to stand up for the, for, you know, the truth and for, uh, you know, they, 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 saw a policy that was dangerous and they thought was illegal and they wanted to challenge it. And, and this, like I said, there's now over a thousand school districts that are enforcing policies like this. And this ruling, the Judge Benitez issue is really um, what a, a first of its kind in terms of its scope. And it was a groundbreaking ruling. So parents and, and students really should be applauding them for their courage to challenge right. uh, these policies. But instead, uh, the school is doubling down and keeping them out of school on for for various reasons that you know we're we can only you know surmise what their motives are but it seems like they're acting in bad faith paul jonah is my guest today here on the bottom line uh, we've got a link at the bottom for information about this case involving these two uh teachers uh elizabeth mirabelli and uh and laurie west 
and also the uh, the ruling from Judge Roger Benitez that came down September 14th, that basically you mentioned that was that was a very substantial ruling, was it not? That wasn't just kind of a, a temporary, we'll uh, see if this will blow over uh, type of thing. It sounds like Judge Benitez actually handed down, said, hey, look, it's a preliminary injunction, but if I were ruling on this right now, this is the road I would say we should be going. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, so it, to grant a preliminary injunction in federal court, it's a pretty serious um hurdle that you have to overcome as a plaintiff for, for a court to grant a preliminary injunction. And the court has to, in deciding whether to grant it, has to determine if you have a likelihood of prevailing on the merits. And that that analysis, Judge Vitas went through with some great detail, not only on the First Amendment issue, but also talking about parental rights. And it was hmm. it was a really thorough and very, very well-reasoned order that, that really sets the framework for I, how I think courts across the country and ultimately the U.S. Supreme Court should look at this issue. It really is when you think about how effective they've been, you know, whether you are a person of faith or not, whether you even believe in support the Constitution or not, to have two women who have dedicated so much of their time, their lives, their livelihood to, uh, you know, being the kind of advocates for children that uh, we would expect teachers to be when a crazy ruling in the People's Republic comes through and says, oh, yeah, if a nine-year-old girl says she wants to be a boy, not only do you have to affirm that person's gender identity, but you can't tell the parents about it too. Paul, does does anyone on the left, and I'm asking this somewhat rhetorically, does anyone on the left see the irony of the fact that they're doing so much damage to children in the name of, quote unquote, trying to protect children with these crazy laws like this? Well, we know they're not really trying to protect children. What they're, what they're trying to do is indoctrinate them. They know that once a child socially transitions, it's pretty much, um, it substantially increases the chances that, that they're going to continue on with this new identity, possibly medically transition and make permanent decisions, health decisions possibly. And we're seeing this in the detransitioner cases that we're also handling where, where girls are getting a little older and realizing that now they've they've had this double mastectomy and, and they've made, they've taken puberty blockers and now they, they can't have kids. They're permanently disfigured. They're mutilated. So the social transition is really instrumental and keeping parents out of the picture really just solidifies this process for these kids. It's a, it's a very dangerous, very dark and, and evil um, thing that's happening in our culture. Paul Jonah, uh, that's great advice and great exhortation for us of the body of Christ, too, to listen to what these women are going through, know that they are our sisters and we are standing with them in solidarity. Paul is with the uh, law firm of Lamandry and Jonah, a partner there, and also serving as special counsel with our friends at the Thomas More Society to help represent Elizabeth Mirabella and Lorianne West. And we've got all the details and the latest updates up at thebottomlineshow.com. Paul, where can we... Well, what can we do? I mean, obviously we can pray, but what, what can we do to help support you and your team and Elizabeth and Lori during this time? Do we have any, I don't want to say finish line, but what's the next court date? Is there anything on the horizon that we could be aiming toward our prayer wise? Well, the next, uh, the next significant thing that's going to happen is the court will rule on this contempt application. We're hoping that no one needs to be held in contempt. We're hoping that the school district does the right thing and brings these teachers back to school, but we don't know when that will happen, but probably sometime this month, the court will make a ruling on that. And then in January, we have uh, hearings and uh, various things to get discovery going in the case. And, um, you know, after that, we'll probably file a summary judgment motion. This case should conclude sometime, you know, in the first half of next year to the, you know, sometime next year. But uh, we're going to keep pushing it forward. Um, the way you can learn more about the case and what's going on by 
updates on the Thomas More Society's website. It's thomasmoresociety.org. And obviously supporting the Thomas More Society is an important part of, of keeping the, the pressure on in this case. But yes. those are the, uh, that's the key information. And making it possible for teachers like Elizabeth Mirabelli and Lori West to pursue legal action, knowing that it can be so expensive, but there are so many uh, organizations that are willing to, uh, you know, stand in the gap and say, hey, look, we're going to, we're going to take this case on. I'm confident when I saw your name attached to this, I immediately had a, a sigh of relief knowing that uh, you all do such great work with Lamandry and Jonah. And then of course, with Thomas More Partnership, um, we know that we're going to, we're getting the truth out and, and as well organized as the left can be, uh, uh, there's nothing that can stand against God in terms of, uh, you know, prayer cover and also the financial backing of an organization like Thomas More Society. Paul Jonah, keep fighting the good fight. Thank you for this update. And let's uh, get in touch again in a couple of weeks and find out how things are going on this case. OK, absolutely. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for covering the case. Always good to get those updates from Paul Jonah, and we've got the link up for Thomas More Society up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, Education Done the Right Way, Part 2, Marty Machowski, noted author and Christian school educator and family pastor as well, has written a brand new book that combines a novel into the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. That story coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a conversation about how we explain one of the most uh, powerful parts of the New Testament to younger readers. And uh, doing so is a guy who's been uh, become a regular fixture here on The Bottom Line Show, Marty Machowski, family life pastor at Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. He has served on pastoral staff for over 30 years as the author of a number of family devotionals and curricula and, and things of that nature. He has a brand new book out that's got the story and it's got the pictures and it's a perfect way for parents and grandparents to help impart biblical truth to the lives of our kids and grandkids. The book is called The Treasure, the ancient story of ever ever knew of Jesus and his church. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marty Machowski, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show today. Thanks, Roger, for having me on your program again. It's wonderful to be with you. Well, we love the books that you write, and especially, I mean, the last one we were talking about, Overcoming Fear, and how uh, how pertinent that is for, for kids. Uh, today, we're talking about a story that is kind of fun. Uh, when you take a, a look at where the 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 voyage you're literally taking younger readers on to discover the treasure that God has in store for us, talking about his love, and you're particularly focusing on uh, the letters that was written by Dr. Luke. Talk about why this was so important to bring to light. I mean, it's not your typical, uh, you know, I got a kid's book on Luke and Acts. Hey, that's perfect. I I, don't, I can't recall seeing one of these before. It seems like it's kind of uh, rare territory. Well, actually, I don't know that there is another book for kids on Luke and Acts, and rarely do uh, uh, adults even consider that the book of Luke and uh, or the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are actually uh, two parts of one story. Um, they were written both by Luke to this imaginary guy, Theophilus, or this mysterious guy, Theophilus. And one tells the story of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But then part two, the book of Acts, talks about the birth of the church and the spread of the gospel. And you put them together and you get one story. It's the most important story to give our kids. Very often we don't realize because the gospel of John is kind of like 
been organized in there to separate the two that they are actually really one book, part one and part two. And I wanted to give kids the complete story. What is the story of the life transforming gospel from Christmas and the birth of Christ all the way through the spread of the church into the known world? You know, it's nice to see that connection point, because I think that's one of the reasons why, say, the television program, The Chosen, is is doing so well. I mean, a lot of people wonder about the extra biblical parts and, you know, what do we know about certain characters that aren't amplified in Scripture? But when you see that their focus was, let's find the harmony parts of the Gospels and present that story. This is where you're going to see it in three or four different Gospel accounts. You see the fact that it does actually weave together and the fact that for many years, you're right, there's that natural break. We have the four Gospels first, and then we get into the whole Acts, Romans, you know, Corinthians, the part of the church. But the fact that Luke is bringing this on and does so in storytelling format, I mean, it probably made your life a little bit easier, maybe not totally easier, Marty Machowski, but the, the fact that the fact that Luke is writing this as he's writing to his Theopolis, whoever Theopolis is, uh, real or imagined, to tell these stories and how important it is for us then as parents and grandparents to be able to write that you've, you've seen a, probably a greater need over the past three decades for this in parent family ministry than ever before, that parents who've kind of abdicated that responsibility to the church can actually take a more active role in being Bible teachers. Yeah. And parents don't really know where to begin. Uh, yeah. They want to teach their kids. I don't know a Christian parent who has the idea, nah, discipleship of my children. Now, nah, I don't want to do that. But they, <laughs> right. they want to, they just don't know how. And so one of the things that I've done, I've made it really my life's writing work to provide resources to make it easy for parents. So what do you need to do? Pick up a copy of the treasure and just take your family through it. And you will, by doing so, disciple the next generation in your home. And as you said, what a wonderful way to do it through Luke and Acts, which are story, one story after another, uh, a ton of parables in the, the gospel of Luke. And Acts is literally the stories unfolding of what took place. It's the retelling of history and not just any history, but the powerful history of the spread of the gospel that takes us all the way up until today, where we're trying to teach that to our children to carry on from where we left off. Marty Machowski is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called The Treasure, Ancient Story Ever New of Jesus and His Church. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and you put this together in, in such a way that it is an action-adventure story. There's illustrations, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But the idea that you've got, basically, you've got a, a riddle of sorts that gives kids a chance to be interactive and investigative. You've seen that to be proven very effective, especially with kids in like elementary school. They like to learn. They like to go on the discovery. Talk about how you uh, kind of laid that out for the kids. And then, of course, for us grownups who, what's our number one apprehension? Well, I don't want to get into something like this because what if I can't explain it? You know, what if I don't really fully understand the, the, the theology behind this too? You've kind of taken the guesswork out for both of us. Well, I'm trying to make it simple for parents, and uh, one way to keep the kids interested is I've woven a fictional story through the actual Bible study, and, and what that does is it creates this interest. There's a fictional story of two characters, uh, Theos and Mira, brother and sister, who stumble upon an old ship's water jar that contains the gospel scroll of Luke and uh, the book of Acts and a captain's journal, an old ship's captain's journal that 
challenges them to solve the riddle in his journal by studying these scrolls and then find their way to his treasure. And so these two kids in the story begin to try to solve the riddles to discover where is the captain's treasure. And the riddles are there for the reader today to solve as well. So as Theos and Mira are trying to figure out what is the answer to this riddle that leads to the captain's treasure, so will your children, as you read the treasure, discover the answer to the riddle and find the treasure. And in the end, is there a treasure? Yes. There's a true treasure that's to be discovered for everyone who reads the book. The book is called The Treasure, Ancient Story Ever New of Jesus and His Church, written by my guest today here on The Bottom Line Show, Marty Machowski, uh, putting his more than three decades of pastoral ministry experience, especially in parent and family ministry, working with kids. Uh, we mentioned the fact that this book is written for the elementary age group, but I would imagine that there's some parts of it that you... It's like when we were kids growing up watching cartoons on TV, right? You know I mean? The kids were staying entertained by it, but the parents could watch... My wife and I still go back and we go online and find those schoolhouse rock cartoons or whatever to learn <laughs> i'm just a bill at everything i there there you remember those things kids can get them but there's something in there for the parents as well talk about how uh maybe maybe an older sibling might uh, want to come along and and get involved because ultimately your goal is not just parent and child but it's whole family engagement isn't it yeah i i like to do a multi-level learning experience to create a resource that enables that so it's illustrated so the youngest children, kids who can't read, uh, can be read to. They're interested in all of the illustrations. And then there is the text that's written at about an elementary, mid-elementary level, so that uh, a third grader could read the book and understand it. And in order to do that, I've got to bring the theological concepts down uh, and, and create analogies to help kids understand those concepts, which I do, and I add in every page. And then for older kids, I like to create the mystery. So the whole idea that there's a riddle to be solved, the older kids are going to be challenged by that mm -hmm. and may need to help their younger brothers and sisters out. Uh, and then in the back of the book, there is a study on how the Old Testament is factored into uh, Luke and Acts, and what are those biblical theological connections, which is a study for older children. So most people, they've got families with multiple kids. They might have a kindergartner and a third grader, or a third grader and a sixth grader, and I wanted to make a book that worked for that whole gamut. So if you have children multiple ages, know that there's going to be something in each to help them benefit from this resource. Marty Machowski is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called The Treasure, Ancient Story Ever New of Jesus and His Church. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And more to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. December is the month we celebrate the birth of Christ, and when we think about the birth of Christ, it was technically an unplanned pregnancy, at least as far as Mary and Joseph were concerned. The angel Gabriel had other ideas, of course, and we know that the birth of Christ ushers in God's plan for salvation for you and for me, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Why not, during this Christmas season, give a gift in support of a ministry that celebrates the gift of life and the gift of eternal life as well? Preborn is the ministry that offers you the opportunity to have a free ultrasound performed on a pregnant mom and 
All she has to do is come in, get that pregnancy test and have the ultrasound done and then find out what her options are, how far along she is. 85% of the time a woman comes to a preborn clinic, she keeps her child or releases that child for adoption. The abortion clinics don't want you to know about the adoption option. And right now, your $28 donation to preborn is doubled thanks to a special matching grant that's in place Round now through the end of the month. Call 833-850-BABY to make your best donation completely tax deductible and 100% of the money donated to Preborn today goes to the ultrasounds. 833-850-2229, that spells B-A-B-Y, or give a gift online when you go to canebrightradio.com, click on the Preborn banner and make your best tax deductible donation. Do it today. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Vote for politicians that put the education of your child first. Vote for politicians who give Christian education top priority. Hard to come by, I know, but we've been talking about with the books by Michelle Medlock Adams, uh, her book uh, called I Love You to the Sun and Beyond, which features a lot of fun historical facts about what's going on in the world, but also talks about the love of God as demonstrated through the love of a parent or grandparent to children. Uh, We're giving away two copies of that book at 800-227-5278. And then also Marty Machowski's book. We're in the conversation with Marty right now. The Treasure, the Ancient Story Ever Knew of Jesus and His Church. It's kind of an action-adventure nonfiction novel, if you will, about a, a, a mysterious voyage and a captain's journal and whatever that basically takes the narrative of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts and talks about uh, the, the the ministry of Jesus and then how the church was formed. And we've got two copies of this book, The Treasure, to give away as well. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I shared a statistic, and I've been sharing it. Uh, Will uh, Neil Boron shared it, I believe, last week on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, and, and I'll share it here as well. We talk a lot with George Barna about his research regarding how many parents actually have a biblical worldview, and it's about 6%, and it's declining uh, with Generation Z, the next crop of young adults, it's down to 4%. And society on the whole doesn't have a biblical worldview anymore. We are, it, we are definitely in the minority as far as that goes. But one of the most gripping statistics that I've heard recently that is fueling my passion for education and hopefully for yours is the one that says 9% of Christian parents believe that it's there, they are the ones who are primarily responsible for educating their kids with regard to their faith. The other 91% seem to think that it's the church's job, it's the youth pastor's job, it's the talk radio show host's job, whatever. And I love the fact that Marty Machowski has taken the bull by the proverbial horns here with this book called The Treasure, because you want to have regular Bible study. You want to be praying with your kids and showing them you know, what church attendance is like and being part of a, a church body. But we also need to be intentional about saying, hey, look, these events that happened that we read about in the Bible happened in real time, and it was a real action adventure. They didn't know what was coming next. They didn't know in Acts chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit was going to land on their head and look like tongues in Acts chapter 2. I mean, they, they had been prophesied that it would, but they didn't know how it was going to play out. And so having a story like this, like the treasure, I think is key because it, it makes it fun, but you're reinforcing biblical truths that they're learning in a different context as well. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line for Marty Machowski's book, The Treasure, and Michelle Medlock Adams' book, I Love You to the Sun. For our KCBC audience, Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming your way next. For those who remain on the network, the conclusion of my conversation with author Marty Bachowski coming up next as the bottom line continues.
Marty Machowski, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, another gem. And this is, a, it's a children's book, but I was, I was talking to a, an a author the other day, an author who had written a book that he called a nonfiction novel because it was factually based, but it read like a novel. Typically with a children's book, Marty, you and I both know, there's maybe 10, 15, 20 pages, big pictures, a few you know words, maybe a sentence or two and to help kids kind of get engaged here. The, the treasure is really unique in the sense that this is a, I don't know how else to put it, a big person book that is written for kids. I mean, it, it's very comprehensive. Talk about how you determine what to put in and what to leave out. Because I could imagine you might have had a version of this initially that was like, let's keep this in regular kid form where big picture, small words, not too many pages. This is a very comprehensive work. Yeah. I mean, if you look at uh, most of the books in the Bible, if they write a commentary, it's one volume. But but Luke and Acts, uh, very often Luke can be in two volumes because, uh, you know, they put Luke and Acts together and it's uh, it's the largest portion written by, it's, it's more than the epistles written by one person. So it's a huge amount of scripture. And so I didn't like, how do you cut? So you can't cut, cut that out. Can't cut that out. <laughs> you know, the cutting room floor looked like, how do we want to keep all that away from our kids? So yeah. um, at one point we contemplated doing two books and then we said, no, no, let's just do two parts in one book. And so there really is two parts in this book, Luke and Acts, they flow together. And, uh, but it, it creates a, it's one of those reference resources that you put it on the family shelf and you're coming back to it. You go back to it. It's, it's a heirloom book. That was what I was mm. wanting to create. Mm. That's a great way to describe it. Uh, I highly recommend The Treasure, the ancient story I ever knew of Jesus and his church, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com and has nothing but five-star ratings on the online services. Uh, let's get into another part of this as well, because you mentioned with a typical children's book, the illustrator is key. Those illustrations are awesome, as you mentioned, for the kids who don't read, but are going to be read too. The pictures at least keep them engaged. But that's in a relatively short book that has a beginning, middle, and end that is over in 20 pages. This is over 200 pages. So the illustrations have to take on a slightly different uh, uh, tone, I would imagine. Talk about your relationship with Flavia Sorrentino and how that all came together in terms of you, the author, and kind of guide of this, but then Flavia doing the illustrations, equally important in a book this size. Well, Flavia's illustrations are just superb. But one of the things that was so exciting is that the story, the fictional story that weaves along the Bible study takes place on the Greek island of Naxos. And uh, so being of European origin, Flavia uh, has that European sense of style and feel to the illustration. So it, they just seem so authentic for the story and so rich. Uh, the colors are wonderful. Um, I think people, when they see the illustrations, are going to be delighted. And I and I mean, the, that's the best word to understand it. Yeah. Um, there was a cooperation between uh, my work and her illustrations. So I'm writing, giving suggestions as to what might be illustrated. She takes my suggestions, looks at the story, and in some cases suggests something different from what she's feeling or seeing. And the blend in the end has just really come out. I, I couldn't be happier. And I think people will be blessed by the, the really the wonderful journey that they take as they read the treasure.
the treasure an ancient story ever knew of Jesus and his church. Uh, Marty Machowski's interpretation of the scripture, I mean, obviously not deviating from that story, but of taking Luke's two letters, basically, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, and tying them together in one a treasure adventure uh, on the high seas. It's just, it's, it's a thrill ride for kids to be a part of, and it's a great resource for families to have because you can keep drawing on it. You know, with a couple hundred pages, it's not like that one story that you read, you memorize it, and then that becomes the routine, you know, part of the familiarity of kids. And then that's an important part of learning, especially at the grammar stage of education. But in terms of moving forward, this is becomes a treasure trove. It becomes a well of, of information where you can keep drawing on it. And I think of Lamentations 3, you know, these mercies are new every day uh, the more you draw on this. Uh, Marty, let's talk about a, a part that is very part and parcel for our audience here at the Bottom Line Show, uh, with the majority of our listeners, I mean, obviously being parents, but then also being grandparents. And we're living in a culture right now where we see the statistics. And and what was sharing with my colleague, Neil Boron at WDCX in, New York, in Buffalo, who's a part of the uh, Crawford Roundtable of hosts that we have here. We were, Neil's an ordained minister, so am I. And we were talking about the statistics about biblical worldview in the culture, you know, what, what parents are expecting the church to do, uh, what they're expecting, you know, the grandparents to do. Two statistics jumped out at me, the number of grandparents who are playing a more active role in raising their kids, number one, and number two, the dwindling number of parents who feel that it's their responsibility to be the primary spiritual instructors for their home. Neil found a study that said something like 9% of Christian parents really think that it's their responsibility to impart biblical truth. And so they're kind of abdicating to the church or the babysitter, the school, or even the grandparents. Golden opportunity for grandparents to take a, advantage of a book like The Treasure and impart these knowledge, these, this knowledge into the lives of their kids, especially if mom and dad either have kind of a lukewarm faith or maybe they don't have faith at all. How, how What's the best way for a grandparent to say, okay, I wanna be proactive and use the treasure with my grandkids? Well, I've got eight grandchildren of my own. Oh, good for you. And uh, uh, I, I don't know a parent who would, if you ask them, hey, do you mind if I read a story uh, when they come over to today? I've got a great story. It's called The Treasure. Do you, do you mind if I read it? Uh, parents love when grandparents get involved in the active training of their children. and And the reality is, as grandparents, we do have a measure of responsibility uh, to the corporate passing on of the gospel message to the next generation. Psalm yes. 78, uh, Asaph says, we will not hide them, what's them, the glorious deeds of the Lord from the next generation, from their children. It's not from our children, but from their children. And so we jump in, we are grandparents. Hey, don't get a copy of the book. The next time the grandkids come over, read the story, they'll open up and discover that there's a treasure to be found. Then close it after chapter one. It's okay, well, we won't read anymore. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> You'll hear the kids. They keep going. I want yes. to know what happens. As grandparents, what a treasure, what an honor, what a privilege we have to step in. If, if the parents think, oh, let's pass it on to somebody else, don't you take up that standard, read and pass on the treasure. And what is that treasure? Ultimately, the gospel that Jesus Christ came 
lived a perfect life, died, rose again for our salvation. Mm -hmm. And that we need that salvation. I think a lot of people are being taught that as long as they have Google or a really cool house or a phone or the right friends or whatever, that they don't need a, a savior. And the message that not only is there a treasure, but that treasure has your name on it, you know, as someone who needs to be reconciled to God, uh, more than just a, okay, God's angry with people who do bad things, so therefore I don't want him to be mad at me. It's it's way deeper than that. And Marty, I'm glad that you are so proactive in doing this. Marty Machowski is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Treasure, Ancient Story Ever New of Jesus and His Church. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marty, what's the initial? The book's been out for a little while now and would make a perfect Christmas gift. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, especially dads and grandpas who don't do any of their Christmas shopping till December 24th. you still got time to get this and get it under the tree. Marty, what's the response been like from the parents, the grandparents, and the kids, actually, who are experiencing the book, The Treasure? Well, I've only gotten five-star reviews. God has been so kind to uh, enable this book to get out to people, and uh, it's been very well received. New Growth Press does an excellent job with quality premium paper, premium binding, mm -hmm. Yes. So when you when you just page through the book, you just you, you sense quality. And I'm a quality person. I don't like to buy something and have it fall apart on me at all. At and all. so um, if if you um, buy a book that I've written, this is my commitment and promise that you will get the gospel. You will pass on the greatest truth that uh, has ever been spoken to your children, to your grandchildren, to your classroom, and uh, you'll get it in a quality book that will last. I love it. I love it. Well, I, two thumbs way up from the Marsh household as well. The book, The Treasure, is now available. Ancient story ever knew of Jesus and his church. It's a wonderful retelling and, uh, and, and repurposing, if you will, of the story of Luke's gospel and then also the book of Acts in an action-adventure format that kids are loving right now, and your kids and grandkids will love it too. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marty Wachowski, thank you so much for the great ministry you've done for the past 30 years. Continue to do it as long as the Lord tarries. Thank you for this book, and thanks so much for the time today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate you. My pleasure, Roger. Thanks for having me. Great conversation. Great resource, too. Very, very substantial, comprehensive, and the kind of thing where if you have, I know we have a lot of current and retired teachers who listen to The Bottom Line show. If you've got kids or grandkids who are of this age that would benefit from this type of story, this is the kind of book you're all over it's called The Treasure, The Ancient Story Ever Knew of Jesus and His Church. It's a kind of a modern retelling of the Gospel of Luke and the, about the ministry of Jesus and then the foundation of the church in the book of Acts. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Not one, but two copies of this book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. I know a lot of times we will talk to parents or grandparents about an educational issue or something, and they'll say, wow, you know, I would really love to have that conversation with my kids, but I, I, I'm not there. I mean, I don't know this stuff. I wasn't very good with history, or I'm not a Bible teacher, and I feel kind of funky, um, F-U-N-K-Y, um, about you know doing something like this. I want to encourage you to say, look, one of the best things you can do when you're with a child you never want to give the impression that you don't know what you're doing. But at the same time, it's very, very helpful to them if you don't know quite how to, how to articulate it to be able to say, 
let's go on a discovery together and figure out what this means. And coming up on the other side of this break, I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about, especially as it pertains to uh, something that we talked about earlier in the program, which is academic learning loss during the pandemic. That pandemic learning loss is dramatic. Some school districts are saying that students have lost a year, maybe two years. Even the, uh, the uh, international uh, student assessment that we were talking about, about the math scores, indicates that American students on the whole have lost about six months or basically half a school year worth of learning and uh, in the past four years. And the reason, quite frankly, is because of the pandemic, among other reasons. On the other side of this break, I want to talk about the importance, the value of being able to admit when we make mistakes and why it is so important for us as Christians to let our yes be yes, our no be no, but our I was wrong to be I was wrong. Because you have to wonder how many problems in this life would probably be more readily and easily solved if more and more people were willing in the moment to say, hey, I made a decision here, I said something there, it wasn't exactly right, and I messed up. Uh, we're going to take a look at this as it pertains to many of the, uh, uh, the quote-unquote so-called experts who were pushing for uh, lockdowns and isolation and things like that during the pandemic. And how many of them now are stepping forward and saying, you know what, we made a mistake and we need to uh, make amends for that. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to Marty Machowski, outstanding fa family and children's minister for more than 30 years who writes some great books on how to impart biblical truth to our kids. His newest one is called The Treasure, Ancient Story Ever New of Jesus and His Church. It's kind of a modern retelling of, uh, you know, create a fictional story around, uh, well, a couple of kids, Mira and Theos, who discover a sea captain's personal journal and that offers clues to finding a hidden treasure and the only way they can solve the riddle is by studying two ancient scrolls and the ancient scrolls just happen to be the gospel of luke and the book of acts um, the treasure is over 200 pages it's got great illustrations it's captivating you'll love it and we have not one but two copies of this book we're giving away today 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line Katie Spence has written a piece in the Epic Times that she first published around Thanksgiving and updated last week with regard to uh, COVID and the lockdowns and the so-called experts who actually 
wound up doing more harm than good with their recommendations. You'll remember it was a very one-sided conversation. Conversation was uh, COVID is real, which no one can deny. I mean, the virus did really happen. Then the question was, who is most likely to get the illness and how will it impact them and their health? Well, obviously, anyone who was elderly or infirm, people who had a co- compromised immune system, people with uh, potential comorbidities, overweight, uh, uh, high blood pressure, that type of thing, were, were at, at greater risk than people who never had any of those problems at all. I talked to a couple of experts and who said, you know, when this first started out, this will be an endemic. It won't be a pandemic. It's just going to show up every year and we're going to have to learn how to deal with it. But the CDC, National Institute of Health, World Health Organization, went to great lengths to say what we need is a vaccine. We're not looking for treatment. And I thought, well, that's interesting because we have all sorts of different remedies for the flu, for example, or pneumonia and even some preventative shots that come over time but flu has you know been happening for such a long time we can kind of predict based on last year's flu what this year's flu shot will look like and again it's a coin toss as to whether or not it's going to work if you're a flu shot person and you swear by them then go for it um if you're not a flu shot person i'm not a flu shot person um the only two times i've ever had a flu shot i got the flu really badly and so the other times i just i pray and try to take as good a care of myself as I can and use over-the-counter stuff and make it through the flu season just fine. But one of the big issues that started here in the U.S. was whether or not to lock down businesses, schools, churches, that type of stuff. And some states were very, very, you know, state mandate, California, New York, we were shutting everything down. No one goes to church, stay at home, don't look at anybody, you know, that type of stuff. And then other states like Texas and Florida, um, did not have mandatory lockdowns if you chose to close your private school close it if you're a church and you don't want to meet don't meet i remember talking to uh, pastor robert jeffers about about first baptist church of dallas and i asked him how they handled the lockdowns because yeah the first three weeks we did the uh, you know 15 days to stop the spread we'll just go online but slowly but surely we began to gradually realize you know the scope of this and we began to open up and did hybrid services and we did the distancing and had people wear masks and you know the type of stuff but over time we began to figure out it wasn't going to be that big of a deal texas did not have a state mandate for lockdowns now i've talked to many people in the medical profession who say yeah i work in texas and we had to get the shot i mean that's <laughs> our, that was but that was the employer's decision not the state's decision so now uh, it, it becomes more apparent the further we get away from this issue that, um, that the lockdown policies were pretty severe, number one. And number two, um, they really didn't help all that much. Uh, New York University professor Scott Galloway, for example, was on uh, uh, Bill Maher's real-time program on HBO. And he said, you know, I, I, here's his quote. I was on the board of my kid's school during COVID. I wanted a harsher lockdown policy, but in retrospect, I was wrong. The damage of kids, two kids, of keeping them out of school longer was greater than the risk. But here's the bottom line. Myself, our great people at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, I'd like to think that the governor, we were all operating with imperfect information and we were doing our best. So let's learn from it. Let's hold each other accountable, but let's bring a little grace and forgiveness. Now, it's interesting that he would say that because the first thing that springs to my mind is, oh, yeah? And again, I, I, I mean this in all love and respect. It's not easy when you are the person who's politically, you know, in charge of issuing these guidelines, this, that, and the other thing. But I'll be perfectly honest with you. As I watch this play out, 
as I watched my church go through this, we looked at this and said to the church at the time I was there, the majority of the people who are members of the church were senior citizens. The fact that we were able to set up really good cameras in both of our sanctuaries to do real-time Bible studies and to do uh, the midweek uh, plus the small groups and our worship services helped a lot of people who were shut-ins to say, I don't want to risk it. And I'm totally fine with that. When I see, though, that there are people who are perfectly healthy and could have very easily, you know, made better decisions. Here's a quote from Dr. Ari Jaffe, who is a clinical professor of pediatrics at the University of Alberta in Canada, also an attending physician in a pediatric critical care unit. Uh, Dr. Jaffe initially supported the lockdowns. Um, so did Kevin Bass, a seventh-year medical student and researcher at a Texas medical school. But both now say they were wrong because of two things that we saw that, I mean, most people saw. <laughs> One was groupthink. Everybody gets in that silo and starts thinking the same way, and they all agree. One of the influencers says lockdown, and everybody else believes it, lockdown. And then the next thing was fear-mongering. Remember how militant the pro-lockdown and pro-vaccination and pro-maskering people were? I mean, we're talking the president of the United States. Hey, for those of you who are not vaccinated, we have a crisis here, and the crisis would be solved if the unvaccinated would get vaccinated. And the thinking people among us said, wait a minute, what you're saying is a number of people have received the vaccine and some people have not, but somehow the people who have not are giving it to the people who have the vaccine and the vaccine's primary purpose is to prevent someone from catching COVID from somebody who has COVID. So how does, whether or not I am vaccinated or not, how does that impact you if you're vaccinated? And, and science never really had an answer for that. The lockdown, I mean, it was the Imperial College COVID response team in Canada that published modeling that showed that without lockdowns, more than two-thirds of the time over two years, that there would be a half million deaths in Great Britain and 2.2 million deaths in the U.S. by mid-April. They estimated that there would be 7 billion infections in the first year and 40 million deaths. Um, so widespread fear became the order of the day. And now many of those professors and the scientists and experts are saying we were wrong. We'll talk about why it's important to be able to do that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Preborn is the ministry we've been talking about all year long that provides free ultrasounds for women who are expecting. But one of the best things about the preborn ultrasound experience for a woman is oftentimes there are women who come to preborn, they see the ultrasound, all of a sudden they begin to realize, wow, this is a baby, not a cluster of cells. And what are my options? They find out that option number one, of course, is congratulations, you're a mother. Here in the People's Republic of California, they can also legally abort the child. But the third option is the one that you don't hear about at the abortion clinics, and that's releasing the child for adoption. Your $28 donation to Preborn right now will provide one ultrasound visit. A $15,000 donation will provide one ultrasound machine. And thanks to a special year-end gift here, a matching gift by a friend of the Ministry of Preborn, your gift today is doubled. Go online to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com, click on the Preborn banner, and then make your best tax-deductible donation to Preborn. $28 saves one baby's life, $140 saves five, 
280 saves 10, and 15,000 provides an ultrasound machine that can do 250 ultrasounds per year for at least 10 years. And every gift you make today will be doubled thanks to a special matching gift at Preborn. Learn more when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the Preborn banner today. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, talking education, talking mea culpa. Still got a few moments left for you to get in on the uh, call-in giveaway for Marty McChowski's book, The Treasure, Great Story for Kids, The Ancient Story Ever New of Jesus and His Church, kind of a nonfiction novel version of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts put together in one 200-plus page children's book. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We're taking a look here at uh, an article in the Epic Times about a number of experts who were advocating for lockdowns at the start of the COVID pandemic, and then they were horribly wrong. And what's interesting about this to me is the number of people who said, wait, I wanna wait and see what this clinical trial does. You know, I'm not gonna rush out and get the vaccine because it's really unproven. Why aren't there any, uh, you know, doctors who are being heralded for saying we've got treatment for this when people were getting COVID? It basically seemed like, I mean, this is anecdotal, but it seemed like once you got COVID, the only solution that the CDC and NIH had was go to a hospital and die. I mean, they really weren't trying to treat people, it seemed. We weren't hearing the stories of how many people recovered. And then we started finding out that 98% of the people who got COVID recovered from it, and maybe it wasn't good. But the idea that the Imperial College in Canada estimated 7 billion infections and 40 million deaths globally in the first year, they basically were predicting that almost every human being on planet Earth was going to get COVID and that there would be 40 million deaths. Now they realize that it was based on fear-mongering and groupthink, and they're asking for grace and forgiveness. Well, what about us as Christians? Boy, it's easy. If you were a non-mask-wearing, non-virus-jabbing, vaccination-getting, you know, I don't like the distance stuff, my church never shut down person, you might say, no, I don't have any grace for you. I don't have any forgiveness for you. There's no way. You vilified me. You shut down my business. You cost me my livelihood. There's no way. And if you did lose your livelihood, I, my heart breaks. I'm sorry. I really am sorry that that's what happened, especially in a place like the People's Republic of California here where Governor Newsom was all too anxious to lock down the state. But at the same time, though, with regard to grace and forgiveness, when someone comes to you and says, hey, look, I made a mistake and I was wrong, how do we treat that person? Jesus is pretty clear in Scripture. We are to forgive others as we have been forgiven ourselves those of us who are not willing to forgive are not going to get the forgiveness that God has for us. It's not transactional in the sense that if you don't forgive others, that God's not going to forgive you, but rather if you aren't willing to forgive others, maybe it's an indication that you have not fully received forgiveness from God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Frustrating as it is to be in a situation where those of us who were kind of anti what they were preaching from the CDC are turning out to be right. Grace and forgiveness should be the hallmark of those, especially when someone is willing to say, you know what, I made a lot of money off the fact that I was proclaiming this stuff, but I was wrong, and please forgive me. Forgiveness is the essence of our faith in Christ. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.